You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Bet this football season with my bookie. Use promo code Gators and get a free $20 wager with your first deposit. Your winning season begins today. Only at my bookie. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining you a couple days after Florida gets defeated by Texas A&M 41-38. And joining me on this Monday night edition, as he does every week, is Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site readandreaction.com. Well, man, we knew it was going to be tougher with a with a ten game SEC schedule. Uh, uh, the coaches and, and players uh, put that out there as well after the game and post game press conference. But man, it's so so disheartening the, the fan in this. We're uh, three games in and already talking about a, a Gator loss here uh, to a team that uh, we we both thought you know Florida was clearly better than. Uh, but you know, so, so that just just kind of how it happens, and that's why there's so much disappointment with this one. Yeah, I mean it was it was a fun game. You kind of felt like Florida had control of it, especially when they went up sort of early there in the third quarter and A&M was kind of self-destructing and it looked like Florida really had an opportunity to sort of step on their throat. Gators weren't able to do it and A&M got some life and and figured some things out in terms of what they could take advantage of on Florida's defense. Florida got a couple of stops there early in that third quarter, but then uh then obviously A&M turned on the Jets and Florida couldn't keep up. And that's one of those things where this year thus far the offense has been able to stake Florida to a big enough lead that the fourth quarter hasn't really mattered. But this this in this particular game, the fourth quarter mattered. A&M was the better team in the fourth quarter. I think you could – I mean, you can argue about whether you think A&M is better than Florida overall, but they won yeah. the game because they were the better team in the fourth quarter and they were the tougher team in the second half. And you know what? The Florida's going to have to go back to the drawing board because if you're playing a 10-game SEC schedule – you can't get bullied like they got bullied in the second half and expect to win eight, nine games. Not going to happen. So back to the drawing board. I'm sure that we'll talk a little bit about Mullen's comments today and and some of the changes that might be coming on the defensive side of the ball. But, you know, it, it was also a team loss. I mean, you had you had a fumble that really sort of cost them. You had, um, you know, no running game to speak of in the second half. I, I think, you know, you don't want to blame an offense that put up 38 points. I don't think you should. At the same time, you know the the touchdown that put them up by seven was was a short field. The defense actually got them, um, and so there was it wasn't all bad on the defensive side of the ball. But obviously, that's probably the place where we'll focus and the place where Florida needs to improve the most. Yeah, it was just, it, like you said, it is a team game there, and and I think when you go back and look at last week versus South Carolina and then Mullen and, and the staff and the players during the week talking about finishing, well, you had a chance to finish on offense, you had a chance to finish on defense and, and, and both let you down. No matter what happened throughout the game, don't get me wrong, I'm not excusing what the defense did. Yeah, if you heard the episode yesterday, if you follow me on Twitter, there's no excuse for what happened. 
but you know just kind of looking at the 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 microcosm of finishing and how we heard about it so much last week well you had a chance on both sides of the ball to finish the game no matter what happened before that and you didn't as you said you didn't get it you didn't get a chance to do it and you know it it stings and and, and sucks for Malik Davis because everybody was starting to be, believe again and he he played well in this game as well except for the one fumble we've all been excited what we've seen from him and of course, now uh, everybody's kind of down on him because of, because of the fumble. Rightfully so. You can't. You, that can't happen in, in, in that situation. But as I said yesterday, Will, it, it bears repeating. That play, it, it that drive was going to give Florida a chance to win the game, but it certainly didn't lose Florida the game. No, I mean, and running backs fumble, right? Yeah. I mean, that happens from time to time. You get hit, the ball comes out. Obviously, you'd like to see him carrying it a little bit tighter there, but also you'd like to see all of the offensive linemen hit their blocks so that he's not getting drilled from the side. And the other thing is is that, you know, we said last week that one of the risks to having a defense that was playing the way this defense was is that at some point the offense wasn't going to be able to bail them out and they were going to need the defense to step up. And it's not as though that fumble happened at the 10-yard line. I mean, the right. fumble didn't happen deep in Florida territory where the defense didn't have an opportunity to bow up and make a stop and, and either get the ball back to the offense or at least make A&M kick a deep field goal. Instead, they let them basically go all the way down the field, run the clock all the way down and kick a chip shot at the end. So, you know, whose fault is it? It's everybody's fault, right? I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, A&M came out 11 rushes for 45 yards in the first half, 27 for 160 in the second half. Um, it's not as though they slowed down Kellen Mond. They made him look like an All-American. I still don't think he's that good, though obviously he proved me wrong on this game in particular. We'll see whether he's able to maintain that that momentum throughout. And I, I mentioned in my post-game article that this reminded me a little bit of Kentucky back in 2018. I mean, we came out of that game thinking Terry Wilson was really, really, really good, and then Terry Wilson was kind of average the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. And it turned out Florida's defense made Terry Wilson look really, really good in that game. And I, I just wonder well, whether that's... Bryce, and, yeah, and go, Orange Bowl, Bryce, per- Bryce Perkins wasn't that good. I mean, he was a good player. He wasn't that good of what we saw in the Orange Bowl. And look, I mean, as I, as I kind of said last week, maybe the Orange Bowl was a was a you know, inclination of what we were going to see this year. Yeah, but we won the Orange Bowl as opposed true, to. True, true. I mean, that Kentucky that game we got absolutely. Like yeah, and the Kentucky game we got torched, right? And it yeah. was air and ground. Didn't feel like you could stop anybody. Um, you know, Benny Snell just ran wild in that game, and and sort of the same thing happening at A and M yesterday. It was, you know, the defense started to bow up. They stopped them for a field goal at the end, though. Uh, at the end of the first half, though, Jimbo kind of helped out with that one a little <laughs> bit, and then they got a punt to open up the to open up the second half, and all of a sudden, Florida's up what eleven yep. with uh, you know with ten or eleven minutes left. Had real opportunity to 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 they really drilling after some penalties. They're starting in their own deep territory and ugh. yeah, just didn't take advantage of it. And you know what? Sometimes it's going to happen. I mean, again, I don't think you blame the offense for that. I think you say yeah. there are times in a season when the offense won't be clicking on all cylinders and you need the defense to step up. There are going to be times in a season where the defense won't be clicking on all cylinders and you need the offense to step up. And teams that have the ability to have each unit step up or get a special teams play to make up for the fact that the offense or the defense can't step up are the ones that win the national championship. I mean, you think back to every Alabama championship, and there's some game, the one that comes to mind right now while I'm thinking about it is the Cody block of the mm-hmm. of the field goal against Tennessee, right? Tennessee had no business being in that game. 
but they keep it close, and all of a sudden it's coming down to a last-second field goal. They get a big special teams play, and Alabama goes on to win the championship because of it, and those sorts of things are going to happen throughout the year. So this is one of those where Florida, in a championship run, was going to have to win a game where it was close. They didn't get the job done, right? They, they fumbled away opportunities. They didn't get the stop that they needed to at any point in the second half. Um, they could have put them away, and they didn't do it. And so that's what you're left with, right? You're 2-1. and one. Right now you don't look like a championship team. But one of the advantages of the 10-game SEC schedule – I know everybody's talking about the disadvantages. But one of the advantages of the 10-game SEC schedule is you get to re-earn your place at the top. There's only two teams in the SEC right now that don't have a loss. And after this weekend, there's only going to be one. And if that one happens to be Alabama, then Florida's right back where they were at the start, where them and Georgia have one loss to an SEC West team, and all you got to do is win that game in Jacksonville and play well in the rest of them, and you're right back where all your goals goals are right in front of you. So, you know, as, as quickly as we sort of turn to the negative when it comes to a loss to Texas A&M, I think we do need to acknowledge Texas A&M's a pretty good team. I don't think they're great. They're a pretty good team. You lost that game on the road. Obviously, Mullen thought the crowd was a factor. And, you know, you sort of move on and say, okay, one game at a time, how do we take on LSU? How do we get better? And how do we get good enough so that we have an opportunity when Georgia comes to town? Yep, yep. All about uh, taking steps to get better uh, the next three games there, Will, uh, when, when that game comes up uh, here in Jacksonville. So, all right, we'll move on to a whole lot of discussion. Uh, kind of be featured on Todd Grantham here, uh, of course, the hot-button topic. And no, guys. He wasn't fired. You know, the, a lot of people fell out there for the, the fake Brett McMurphy tweet and uh, even Bleacher Report. That, that's, what, that's what started it. I, I think a lot of people knew the whole Brett McMurphy tweet was fake. But then Bleacher Report obviously didn't, picked up on it and, and shared that Todd Grantham was fired. So uh, uh, I know a lot of people were sending Fake news. It, yeah, fake news. I know a lot of people were sending it to me, and uh, they were really believing it. But I had to, uh, I had to quickly... You know, shout out there. No, it's not happening. Todd Grantham is not fired. He's going to be the defensive coordinator for the foreseeable future for the Gators. So, uh, but man, Will, man, it's, <laughs> the world of social media, man. Uh, I, I, lo I love Twitter. Everybody knows that part about it. But that's that, that's one instance right there where it, 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 it gets people in trouble. Well, I mean, it gets people at Bleacher Report in trouble. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Like, you know, any, any Gator fan knows that, uh, you know, Silk's pretty well known for he didn't do it this time, but he's pretty <laughs> right. well known for like breaking things from the from the Miami Herald. Yeah. So uh, you know, Gator fans know to take a second look, but obviously the person at Bleacher Report they must have gone to Florida State or something, so they they didn't know to look at uh, <laughs> look at the the handle a little bit closer. But yeah, I mean, obviously the fan base is riled up. I I don't know that anybody's ever been completely happy with Grantham as defensive You're, coordinator. Yep. There was a segment of the fan base that wanted him to go to the Bengals. A yep. couple of years ago, there's a segment of the, of the fan base that believes he's significantly overpaid based on sort of his track record, which I'm sure we'll get into tonight. And, and some that never wanted him because he had a certain G on his hat at one point. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess the whole choke thing with, yep. with Josh Henry and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it, Grantham's an interesting character. I, I don't know that um, – I don't know that he was an – he was a real – he wasn't a guy that people wanted when they brought him in. And now that they're struggling, there's a segment of the population that doesn't want him now. So that's, that's the, but that's the life of a head coach or a defensive coordinator, right? I mean, if, if you're seven and zero and you're winning every game by three points, everybody loves you. And if you're three and four and you blew out the three wins, but you lost by a field goal on the afford, nobody, nobody wants you either. So, um, you know, that, that's just the nature of the beast. It's it's part of what you sign up for. And when you sign that contract for, you know, 
1.3 or 1.4, whatever it is, million dollars, uh, you open yourself up to the criticism and, you know, Grantham's going through it right now. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, plenty, plenty we'll get into uh, with Todd Grantham. Third down, sacks, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the issues that we're seeing this year for the Gators, well, Will and I are going to dive into uh, kind of a historical look at Todd Grantham. And, you know, should we have seen this coming, I guess, from uh, from, from from Grantham's past uh, there? Remember, before we do, you can get your Gators Breakdown merchandise at ebay.com slash str slash Gators Breakdown. New merchandise out there for you. New Gators Breakdown merchandise. All the listens are all the support we need, but if you want to show some extra support there you go some gators breakdown uh merchandise uh there and remember you can find gators breakdown at news slash gators breakdown you'll find all the gators breakdown episodes and news for jacks coverage of the gators hey please share rate and review the show on itunes if you're out there on apple podcast go give us a review leave us a review it really helps gators breakdown what also helps is hitting that like button on youtube by everybody out there watching this live right now hit that like button really 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 helps us out it helps the metrics there helps everybody help all those gator fans out there all the other gator fans that don't listen to gators breakdown yet uh, if they're out there maybe they can find it uh through that avenue there and if you're uh, watching you know not live hit that like button again uh you can hit it in that version as well Check out the uh, audio version, podcast uh, version on any of your podcast platforms out there and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Uh, well, you know, uh, I, I went back and I wanted to share this in the preseason, but never really got around to it. Um, with everything was COVID and looking at uh, uh, schedules and how everything just kind of got blown up before, before the season started. Um, ESPN had this kind of preview of uh, of teams out there, and I remember, and, and I, it really triggered my my mind today thinking about everything that we were kind of going to discuss here with Todd Grantham. And I remember ESPN saying, "quote You know, Todd Grantham likes to keep game simp- the game simple when possible. If it's third and long, he's bringing pressure. When it works, it works." Uh, the Gators were eighth overall in sack rate, first on blitz downs, which is second and super long, third and five or more. Uh, but didn't get the defense off the field as well as it should have. There we go. This was before the season, so maybe this was something we should have seen uh, there. The Gators ranked just 53rd in third and long success rate allowed, 54th on third and medium, and that was with Grenard racking up 9.5 sacks, 15.5 tackles for loss. And look, most of the lineup outside of Grenard returns is what the ESPN was saying. 12 of 17 players with 250-plus snaps now, obviously, that included Kyrie Campbell at the time, but you know, we're thinking he may be back this week. But still, will twelve of seventeen players with two hundred and fifty plus snaps? You know, there's some experience. You know, the Florida lost a lot, but they they returned a lot on defense there. So, well, we'll give you mad props, man. Your your piece at Reading Reaction uh, for your Texas A&M uh, uh, review released on Sunday. Check it out, guys, if you haven't yet. Well, I mean, I don't want to throw any of your other work under the bus, but it was, this one might have this one might have been your best uh, there. It, it, it stinks it comes after a loss here, but uh, the way you detailed it, everything that happened, uh, Will does a good job detailing every third down in the game. What happened? What what went? What happened? What went wrong on most of them? What went right on the few uh, that were right? Uh, so, Will, and just kind of going back to that ESPN piece of an article there i mean you know continuity would grant them we we talked about oh, actually this whole coaching staff continuity coming back those players coming back so you know the whole defensive staff returning all those players 12 of 17 with 250 plus snaps and for whatever reason it has not translated three games in now and it's the same story from old miss to texas a&m 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you if you say why would we have seen this coming, I think maybe the reason to do that is just the guys who are missing are the guys who were really producing last year. So David Reese, John Grenard, Kyrie Campbell, who we thought was going to be back but isn't, C.J. Henderson, obviously in the NFL, Adam Schuler, Jawan Taylor, um, Jabari Zaniga. You know, you look at those guys; they were <laughs> they were 148 of 401 tackles. There were 40 of the 89 tackles for loss and 20 and a half of the 49 sacks. And mm. so, you know, an awful lot of production. So guys like Ventrell Miller, I mean, Ventrell Miller last year had 55 total tackles, but David Reese had 92. And Miller was the second leading tackler on the team. So, you know, is Miller takes that step up, but then who steps in behind Miller in order to give you sort of the the – the guy to give David Reese a blow who steps up to give Ventral Miller the blow this year. And and that's really been one of the issues is that they haven't had guys who've been able to go out there and, and, and get the job done in those situations. The other thing is, is, you know, Marco Wilson had three picks last year. Donovan Steiner had four. Sean Davis had three. There haven't been any interceptions. I think you tweeted out afterwards that Gervon Dexter is our leading interceptor on the defensive side of the ball, which just means we're not getting any turnovers either. So it's yep. not just that the defense isn't getting as much pressure. The defense isn't getting any turnovers, and so it's just touchdown, 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 touchdown every time the offense touches the ball. And, and maybe there's a relation. You're not getting pressure. You're not getting turnovers. Oh, I mean, I think absolutely, absolutely <laughs> it is. And then you, you factor in the broken coverages and the and the times where they are in position and just haven't been able to make the stop. Um, you know, it, it. I don't think you can pinpoint one thing. I mean, that was sort of a takeaway from the from the third down sort of barrage that I put on in my article. Is you know he rushed four, he rushed three, he rushed five. He zone blitzed. He played a zone behind a blitz. He played man behind a blitz. Um, you know. A&M had an answer for everything that he was trying to do. Now, you know, some of that was youth. I think some of it were guys playing out of position. I think some of it was guys not necessarily executing the scheme the way Grantham wanted it to be executed. I think some of it was protecting some of the players deep because they don't have a whole lot of faith that they're able to stop the big shot from happening. Um, you know, but it was funny. When I watched the first half, there was a lot of zone being played behind the blitzing. And so it felt like they were only bringing four because they weren't getting any pressure. And so one of the things I kept looking for in the second half was for them to play more man. But you know, one of the reasons they were playing the zone is they didn't trust their guys to play man mm-hmm. behind the blitz. And so, you know, I, it, there's there's some real trust issues with Grantham and the defense. There are trust issues with the defensive backs. I mean, there were times where Marco Wilson looked like he got beat where I think there were other players who were supposed to be helping him and it makes him look stupid, even though he was in the right position. The one I'm thinking of in particular is a third down where they, where A&M had the ball at the two or the three-yard line. Florida only rushed three, brought a corner on a blitz, which was kind of weird, and then I think that Amari Bernie was supposed to drop back into the end zone and make it a difficult throw for Bond. Instead, he sort of took on a, took on a lineman. And then Marco Wilson wasn't there in time. Sort of, he was playing a deep in the end zone, yeah. kind of a safety position. Couldn't get to the receiver, an easy touchdown. And you know, the reality is, is you have to know what your assignment is. You have to know where you're going. And too often, the players just don't know what they're supposed to do. So, is that a? You wouldn't expect that with the level of experience. Right. But it's not as though we didn't see this last year. I mean, there were missed assignments and guys not yeah. making plays. And and you know, they had the four safeties last year with Jawan Taylor as the fourth. And they were rotating those guys in and out because things were inconsistent all year long. It wasn't this bad, but yeah. you know, is, part it, of, is it is it too complicated? I mean, I, I think that's the the question we can ask ourselves now. Is the defense too complicated? 
I mean, I don't know. They've been there forever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. these, guys, these guys have been on the program for an extended period of time. That's why like, a lot of this doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, Ventrell Miller and Amari Bernie should know where to go for exactly. the most part. Yes. Now, we've, we made some excuses a couple of weeks ago for Bernie because he hasn't played linebacker his entire life. At the same time, you see the same mistake against A&M that you see against South Carolina. And, and you go, okay, well, when are you going to take him off the field? Now, they did have, you know, one of the things that I think was a little bit of a bright spot was I thought Trevez Johnson showed mm-hmm. some burst in particular. He got a stop there late in the game right before he got picked and then, let a, and then allowed a, 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 conver, you know, a huge backbreaking conversion there on that final drive. But he set it up to where it was a third and long and Florida had a shot to get off the field. I think and you're going to have to. You expect that hey, there's going to be a good play happen, and then somewhere along the way, there's going there's to be a bad play. Yeah, the pro mm-hmm. and this this I think is where you could blame the coaching is I didn't see Trevez Johnson on that field until the fourth quarter, right? And they basically like said, all right, week. they yeah. said, okay, we're going to bring him in because we'd have zero options and zero confidence in the people that we're putting out there. But that's really unfair to have Trevez Johnson out there and say, don't make any mistakes on a critical drive on the road against a top twenty five opponent. If you're gonna play him in the game, put him in the fourth or put him in the first quarter. Let him make some mistakes then. And I think we had a we had a follower on Twitter tweet us about like the total allowable yards yeah. versus the actual yards A and M had. It was something like forty yards that A and M didn't get. Yeah, and one of them was because of the fumble for uh, for Stewart. So, you know, you're not losing a whole lot by putting those guys out there. At the same time. You know, we we saw what happened to Felipe Franks in 2017 when they put him out there and he wasn't ready. And that is something I do think we need to keep in mind when people are like, ah, oh, just bring the youth out there. Just put the youth out there. Well, that can have a negative effect, too, when you do that. And so you need to be very careful that you put people out there who are at least ready to be reasonably successful. Because here's the deal. Like, you know. <laughs> Trevez Johnson will be just as popular as CJ McWilliams the first time he gets he gets out of position and gets burned. And it won't matter that he's a true freshman at that point. But well, he's on the field. Grantham should have him coached up, and that'll be the that'll be the response. And so, you know, the reality is is they got who they got. They're gonna have yeah. to get the best out of them. Is the scheme too complicated? Yeah. I mean, when you look at it, they blew extraordinarily simple coverages. And didn't know where to go. And that's a reflection on the coach. And, and that kind of stuff can't happen. There was one play I had in the article where everybody was ripping on Marco. And I'm like, you know what? Marco Wilson needs to play better. I think he'd be the first person to tell you that. At the same time, he was the he was the corner on the wide side of the field. A&M on a first down play threw a ball to a wide open receiver. And it clearly wasn't Marco Wilson's fault. There was no defensive back anywhere near the receiver. And so... Yes, does Marco Wilson need to play better? Absolutely, but so does every other single player who was on the field. And when you have a guy wide open by like 20 yards, I, I don't know what to do other than say, yeah, the scheme has to be too complicated because that should never happen. Yep, well, and so, you know, kind of looking at it all, all together now, going through and, you know, first loss of uh, 2020 here, but, you know, this was the sixth loss in, in Dan Muller's tenure as Florida head coach. And the and this was just that I couldn't believe. I, I knew it was low. I didn't know it was this real low. I sent it to you yesterday. The Gators have six losses in Dan Mullen's tenure. The Gators have a combined two sacks in those games. Two sacks and six losses. In 2018, you had 37 sacks on the season. The three losses, you had none versus Kentucky, one versus Georgia, one versus Missouri. In 2019, last year, you had 49 sacks. None versus LSU, none versus Georgia. 
in 2020, eight so far. You had eight going into the game last week. So you're kind of your own pace for kind of similar to what you've done. You got zero versus Texas A&M there. So, Will, it's a, definitely a common theme there. If Florida's losing under Dan Mullen and you look at the defense, it's because they're not getting pressure, they're not getting sacks, they're not hitting the quarterback. The third down conversions in those games, in about 2018, Kentucky 9 of 13, Georgia 8 of 14, Missouri 11 of 18, combined 28 of 45 for 62%. 2019, LSU's 1 for 4. So you don't really get a whole lot of credit there when you only force four. <laughs> four third downs in the whole game. So sorry. Uh, yeah, you made him go one for four, but everybody knows Florida couldn't stop LSU anyway. But Georgia goes 12 of 18 in the second loss of the season. So those two games combined, still 60% of third downs converted. And then on Saturday, of course, uh, a- Texas A&M goes 12 of 15 for 80% third down conversion rate there. So look, we all know third and Grantham. We heard it when he was hired. We heard it when he was back at Georgia. Uh, we hear it every time a third down is converted <laughs> on Todd Grantham oh, and, oh, on social media and, and all that's out there, Will. But, man, just you, man, just going back and looking at the losses, pinpointing, you, yeah, you can put a whole lot of – you know, and it kind of goes back to last year, too. You look at the LSU game. It's kind of what we view this Texas A&M game as. Oh, they, hey, the offense did everything they could. The defense failed them. All the other ones are out there, kind of, you know, a team 50-50 lost, if you kind of want to describe it that way. But one constant is not getting to the quarterback and those teams converting third downs. Yeah, I mean, that that seems to be the pattern. That seems to be something Grantham needs. And I would say that, for the most part, Florida's defensive backs have not been good enough over the last three or four years to enable the team to win without getting consistent pressure. In fact, in 2017, the year McIlwain was fired, the defensive backs were downright horrible. I mean, C.J. Wilson and Mark or C.J. Henderson and Marco Wilson gave up like eight or eight and a half yards per reception that year. It was like 108th or something in the country. Um, and every, was, everybody wanted Chauncey Gardner Johnson benched and never to play again. Yeah, so I mean, it turns <laughs> out people can't get better. Um, but you know, I, I think when you look at the defense this year, the thing that disturbs me, and this was something that I pointed out in my article too is seven of the 11 defensive starters are from McIlwain's 2017 recruiting class. And so that's four years ago, right? Four recruiting classes ago, which means these are guys who were not good enough to come in and did not make a big enough impact to get drafted after three years. Like none of these guys left early. And so they've been papering over those spots. And the same thing from like 2016, right? When you think about the defense last year with Jabari Zuniga and, and some of the other guys who, who decided the only guy who went pro early, well, Chauncey went, went pro early after the first year. CJ Henderson went pro early after the second. And then Ja'Kai Polite went early as well. But beyond that, they haven't had anybody who's really gone to the league early. And for, to have seven of the 11 guys be from that 2017 class who are starting on defense tells you that the new guys they're bringing in, either for because Mullen and Grantham really value seniority or because they're not winning the job. That, that, was, a knock. Not, that was a knock on Mullen coming in from us that he did value experience and seniority a whole lot. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't know that you can value seniority when, <laughs> when the team's getting lit up like a Christmas no, tree. Oh, I agree. Like no, is, I'm just saying but, coming in, that was. so. Well, but you look at it. you got Slayton, Carter, Wilson, Davis, Ventrell Miller, Donovan Steiner, Jeremiah Moon, all those guys. And James Houston's not a starter, but he's on that list too. Brad Stewart's not a starter, but he's on that list too. So the lion's share of the defense are people from that 2017 class, which I think everybody sort of looked at the – 
recruiting rankings and said, okay, this is a lower ranked class for Florida. When I mean, that's objectively mm-hmm. true when you look at what McElwain was bringing in. They're not Mullen or Grantham's guys. So now Mullen and Grantham had three years to bring in their guys, and those guys are not stepping in and necessarily winning those roles. You hit on Grenard and bring him in, and he's a huge difference maker last year. I think Cox is actually a pretty good player, but he's not John Grenard, at least not right now. And so they just haven't been able to generate pressure because they don't have anybody up front who's winning one-on-one battles. And when you can't win a one-on-one battle up front, your defensive backs get to get exposed and you have to bring blitzes. And they're not even getting the quarterback when they bring blitzes. Mm-mm. So nope. like they're not even winning one-on-one battles when they bring five guys. The only play I saw, I think they had Mond under pressure really once. They brought sort of an uneven – or once on a third down. They brought an uneven blitz. They, they had Cox almost like playing like in the slot. And then they brought Cox on a blitz with, um, I think it was Stewart. Both came from the same side, overloaded that side, and then dropped the defensive end of the defensive tackle into coverage. From the other side of the line, so there were like four A&M offensive linemen standing around doing nothing. And, and then one <laughs> offensive lineman trying to block three guys coming in. They got to Mon. They didn't get the sack, right. but they got to him. He threw it over the middle into, in, into, into coverage, and the ball was almost picked off. They just couldn't do that enough. Right, I mean, he was he was having to scheme his way to get to Mond, and and let's be honest, I'm not sure that Grantham is a difference maker when it comes to scheming getting to the quarterback. I think he relies yeah, for on, all the credit Dan Mullen gets as a game day coach. Uh, yeah, uh, I yeah, I think you're opposite with Todd Grantham. Well, I mean, I don't think Grantham's bad. I just think no, his no. tracker. I just think his track yeah. record says that he's not. Elite, like you look yeah. at his track record at Georgia and Louisville and and Mississippi State and and now at Florida, and I think it says he's a perfectly serviceable defensive coach. And if you give him elite talent, I think he'll have a really good, a really good defense. I think when the talent is mid grade, he's going to have a mid grade defense. I think when the talent is a little bit lower, he's going to have a lower level defense. He's been very inconsistent everywhere he's gone. He'll have a year where he's really really good and then a year where he's really really bad. And we're experiencing that right now. And the, the point that I brought up in my article is that everybody talks about – I think Dave Wonderlich over at Gator Country is one of the people I saw talking about this first, the third-year dip. And yep. one of the things that's happened is that Kyle Trask has sort of been able to prevent that from happening on the offensive side of the ball because you've got Pitts and Trask sort of propping that whole side up. But can you imagine – I mean, Pitts was hurt a little bit there in the second half, looked like he was limping. The offense started to struggle a little bit. If Trask – you know, if they'd have had to put Anthony Richardson in there <laughs> – like all of a sudden that offense looks very, very different. I think even if they put Emory Jones in there, the offense yes, would have been a whole lot less effective. So Trask, I think, in his ability is really keeping this offense propped up in a place where maybe it wouldn't be just because you know, I'm not seeing huge plays from Trevon Grimes. I'm not seeing huge plays from – I mean, we didn't see Trent Whittemore at all, right? Like where the guys who've – Justin Short made a couple of plays, but we don't have – the Freddie Swains and the Josh Hammonds and the Tyree Clevelands and those guys is like the consistent threats on the outside. Pitts and Tony. Yeah. And, and maybe those guys will step up um, and, and we'll see, but you know, you kind of expect them to use Pitts and Tony at some point as decoys and then start going to these other guys. We haven't really seen that yet. Um, we're going to see it in the not too distant future, I'm sure. But those guys are going to have to step up, and and that's what sa- happens when you only run 50 plays a game, <laughs> right? So, la- so well, yeah, that's part of it. But you know, last year I think Jabari Zuniga essentially was the Trask of the defense, right? He was the guy who was propping up that defense, um, and oh, and making Grenard. Grenard, sorry, yep. that Grenard was keeping the propping up the defense, and and allowing the defense to make some mistakes on the back end that they're just not allowed to make right now, right? I mean, there were times where Bo Nix 
in that Auburn game could not get to his back drop before Grenard was sitting there right in his face. And I can't remember one play this year where the Florida defense got in somebody's face before he got to the end of his drop. There, there were sacks in each game, but I can't remember a time when Florida's defense was imposing its will on the opposing quarterback. And that happened a lot last year. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I, without any pressure, there is no quick fix here. You're going to have to win one-on-one battles. That's what it boils down to. Yeah, and then yeah, Will alluded to it. Will alluded to it. We'll um, kind of we'll see what Grantham's you know history shows and very inconsistent. And as I said, maybe we should have seen this coming. But before we get to all that, between the NFL, college football, and the MLB playoffs, there's no shortage of games to watch. And with thousands of lines available on all your favorite sports and events, you can turn your game day into payday at my bookie. If you're the type that likes to back the big favorites, consider putting in consider putting a couple in a parlay for a much bigger payout not only do parlays make meaningless games exciting but more importantly they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real money maker and don't forget the underdogs they have a ton of value the thing about the nfl is that underdogs are never really underdogs on sunday every team truly has a chance to win and you do too game spreads championship futures and player prop bets it's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet you can sign up at my bookie just use promo code gators and you can grab a free 20 dollar wager with your first deposit to bet on anything in the sports book it's a bonus to designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season that's promo code gators for you to claim your bonus when you make your deposit Stack UFC cards, presidential prop bets, all the major sports and more. Sign up today to begin your winning season only at my bookie. So yeah, here we go. Uh, deep dive, deep dive into Todd Grantham here and and uh, everybody's favorite third down uh, conversion. Uh, if you want to, you know, keep harping uh, on that, and of course we got to. And Will, one reason kind of wanted to do this. He's in his third season now at, at Florida, and he's. From when he came from to, from the NFL, he started his college career back at Georgia uh, in 2010. Had a four year stint there. Then went to Louisville. Had a three year stint there before he went to Mississippi State for a season, and then come with Dan Mullen uh, to Florida. So um, I know he gets the reputation for jumping around a whole lot. But since he come back to the college game, I mean, it's not necessarily more so than than a whole lot of other coaches out there. Though that does seem that indicates that people start to get tired of him there in year three or year four there, buddy. <laughs> oh, there you go. Good point. Uh, and so we'll, we'll, we will show that here. Uh, so here we go. Neat little graphics there. If you're watching the YouTube version, easier to read, hopefully easier to understand uh, here. So Todd Grantham's third down conversion percentage ranking, and this is versus FBS opponents only. Uh, pretty much the only way to do that the uh, best way to do it uh we're not counting cupcake games uh, when you're looking at here so uh 2009 the year before todd grantham uh georgia was 51st in the country at third down conversion percentage uh at 38.2 uh, so you know go to his first year they dropped from 51st in the country to todd grantham's first year all the way to 97th in the country for third down conversion percentage um, at 44, basically 44 percent there. 2011, a big jump, all the way to fourth in the country. So the third down defense takes a huge jump from 97th to fourth in uh, Todd Grantham's second year, uh, with only uh, 29, basically basically 30 percent um, third down conversion percentage there. And then back down in 2012, a great 2012 year for Georgia. They had, Georgia had a really good defense that year as well, led by Jarvis Jones. 
30th in third down conversion percentage in the country and in 2013 dropped to 67th in his last season at Georgia. Big drop uh, in his fourth season there with about 40% third down conversion percentage. And then go to Louisville, uh, his first season there. This was uh, this one was interesting, Will. 2013, the year before Grantham, Louisville had the top-ranked third down conversion percentage in the country in Charlie Strong's last season at Louisville. So how does Todd Grantham follow that up? Not bad. Tenth in the country, so dropped from first to tenth in 2014 uh, at 31.69% there. The next year, 2015, dropped to 32nd in the country with 35.79, so about 35, about 36% there, third down conversion percentage. But here we go. He rebounded in his third and last season at Louisville in 2016, back up to ninth in the country there with about 32% uh, third down conversion percentage. And then we get to Florida, year before Grantham, maybe surprising a bit here. Uh, Will, you and I kind of discussed b- beforehand here about third down conversion percentage and kind of just looking at a season. But in 2017, Jim McElwain gets fired. You're led by Randy Shannon and all that. Florida was still 18th third down conversion percentage uh, in, in the country. And then Grantham's first year drops all the way down to 77th in the country at 40, basically 40% there, we mentioned in the losses. So for the season, 40% third down conversion percentage, but in the losses, 62% third down conversions uh, were successful for opponents against Todd Grantham. 2019, ranked 29th in the country, about 35%, 60% in the losses. And in 2020, uh, 76 teams have played so far, have played a football game, Will. Florida's 75th, next to last in third down conversion percentage. This coming off of an 80% clip versus Texas A&M this past week. Only Ole Miss is worse in the country, giving up at, man, this is crazy, 64, basically, yeah, 64% of third downs Ole Miss has given up this season. They've played both Florida and Alabama. That contributes there. Uh, and, Will, you put this in the article. I, I remember reading it, and I found it too. Florida right now um, – would be in their 58.7% in third down conversions given up or, or their opponents getting on them would rank dead last in college football last year by a whopping 5% more. So there you go. There's a history of uh, Todd Grantham's third down defense going back at it. Like I said, if you want a YouTube version, keep up with it a little bit better there. You can look at the graphic. But Will, as you said, man, a little inconsistent here. You go back in, in, in Georgia – Terrible his first year, a huge jump, and then back down, and then a, his last year there, dropping all the way to 67th in the country. Louisville, I mean, up and down as well, up, down, up, doing well there. And then Florida, you know, wasn't too good his first season, rebounded in his second season, and now 2020 is not off to a good start in his third season for his uh, third down defense. Yeah, not not off to a good start. It's a bit of an understatement there, Dave. But so I, I mentioned before we came on, Florida's faced forty six total third downs this year. So if you count up the third down conversions, the fourth down conversions, the field goals, and all the other things that could happen that are good for the offense, thirty four of the forty six times something good has happened for the offensive team and bad for Florida. So when three quarters of the time, so that's 74% of the time something good's happening for the offense obviously that's bad now I do think that there's some hope here and the hope is is that when you actually look at it over the course of a year third down conversion does not track with points given up now oh, yeah. if you allow every third down that your opponent has to be converted you're going to give up a lot of points like there is some correlation between third down conversion and points scored 
the um, the biggest correlation comes with yards per play, and there Florida's at six point one, which is fifty sixth overall, but would have been down in that eighty or ninety range last year if you compare it to last year's defenses. That's the one that concerns me, is that they're not just bad on third down. They're bad on first down, second down, and fourth down, too. Yeah, we, and, we illustrated that on yesterday's episode, guys, if you missed that, on what a was able to do on first down and third down. Yeah, and, and so, you know, the, the problem is not just that they're giving up the conversions. The problem is, is that they're giving up 24 yards on first down and 10 from the 20. And then they give up another 18 yards on second down and eight from the, you know, and all of a sudden the teams across midfield for that first third down, you convert that third down, you're already in field goal range, right? As opposed to, you know, if you stop them on first and second down, they convert a third down. The next set of downs, they don't convert it. They're one of two, it's 50%, but they're punting to you. And, and that's really, that's really the big difference there. So that's what I would look at. I mean, I think you look at – like, I agree, third down needs to get better. But the place that they really need to get better is just overall yards per play, which means you can't have busted coverages. It means you can't be giving up 10 yards a rush on, on the <laughs> ground there in the second half. Um, you know, it, it's just everything needs to get better. It's not just a matter of third down. Now, as far as Grantham specifically, um, I had written back in 2018 when he was hired – um, you know, one of the things that I looked at was sort of pre-Grantham and post-Grantham for each program he was at. So points per game at Georgia was 48th before him, 42nd on average after or with him, and then 21st after him. So the defensive coordinator who came in after Grantham was actually better than Grantham was at Georgia. With Grantham, um, you know, at, at at Louisville, he was a little bit worse than Charlie Strong. Charlie Strong was 21st on average there at Louisville. With Grantham, they were 30th. Mississippi State, 43rd pre-Grantham, 31st after. But that's a little bit misleading because um, because Peter Sermon was there at Mississippi mm-hmm. State. They shipped off Peter Sermon, basically traded him for Grantham. Traded, yep. <laughs> and the defenses just immediately reverted back to what they were the year before. So, again, I think this suggests that Grantham is not Peter Sermon. Peter Sermon's a right. bad defensive coordinator. <laughs> Grantham is a okay defensive coordinator, but he's not Charlie Strong. He's not Jeff Collins. And that's maybe the guy we should be comparing Grantham to. So with similar levels of talent, because I don't know that, granted, Muschamp sort of focused on the defensive side of the ball, but still, you know, Jeff Collins had a similar level in terms of star talent, and he averaged eighth for points per game ranking. Grantham, um, is at 18th for the first two years that he was at Florida. So a little bit worse than Jeff Collins, much, much better than Randy Shannon, um, you know, and, and really sort of followed Jeff Collins at Mississippi State too. Yeah, you had Jeff Collins, Manny Diaz, Peter Sermon, everything went to hell. And then Todd Grantham came in, and all of a sudden it was back where it was with, with Diaz, but a little yeah, bit when, worse than but, Collins. But, but yeah, like kind, of, kind of like to your point, though, when you're looking at players playing with, he's playing with you know basically Diaz's and Collins' recruited players, not Peter Sermon's. Sure, but I mean, I, I guess that's sort of my point, though. Is when people yeah, are questioning, right. when people are questioning the scheme, the scheme that 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 Grantham typically puts together produces a result that's not as good as Jeff Collins and about on par on par with Manny Diaz. So when you say Grantham has to go, that's who you have to get who's better, right? You have to get somebody who's Jeff Jeff Collins quality. And look at what he's doing at Georgia Tech. That's a that's a pretty feisty team there with yeah, significantly fine, yeah. less, you know. And, and so I think Collins is a really good coach. You're gonna ha- if you're gonna replace Grantham, you better get somebody better than him because he's not bad. He's just not elite. 
And that was always my concern back in 2018 when they hired him. And it's the same thing on recruiting. You look at recruiting at Georgia, Louisville, Mississippi State, and just generally overall, he adds a little bit in the four-star category but doesn't add anything in the five-star category. And you basically end up with the exact same recruiting class pre-Grantham that you do during the Grantham era. So he's not making inroads on the recruiting aspect of things. He's not making a significant difference on the defensive side of the ball. And so what you're left with is if you've got players who are struggling, he's not going to scheme his way out of it. And if you've got players who are really good, he probably isn't going to get in the way. And so the last couple of years, we've had players who are really good and gifted in one-on-one situations, and he hasn't gotten in the way. This year, we're struggling in those one-on-one situations, and he's not necessarily able to scheme those guys into a situation where they're able to succeed. Oh man, that was a lot there. That's probably the best way to put it. <laughs> if, uh, he's, if he's got the guys, he's not going to get in the way. I like I, I like that because I mean, look, you had and that's you know, and I said this on yesterday's podcast too. There was a lot of assumptions for me, and I'll put, I'll put this on myself. A lot of assumptions coming into the season uh, about this defense, and part of it was because of Grantham's reputation. I thought Florida was going to have a pass rusher. I didn't think there would be any issue because look, we didn't expect a whole lot. of from a lot from Jacopo Light in 2018. Todd Grantham unearths him and makes him a monster out there, down after down after down after down. Now, Grenard, you could kind of see it. He had a pretty good young career at Louisville. You saw the inclination. You saw, okay, this guy can be better than, than Polite. At least he had showed something more than Polite did, and he comes in and he lives up to that reputation. Uh, Jabari Zanigan really, to me, didn't really take off until Todd Grantham got a hold of him uh, as well. I think that's a player who got better. He got older as well, so that's that part of it too, but I think Todd Grantham made him a better pass rusher, so I was like, okay, we've seen this for two seasons. There's no way he's not going to have a pass rusher. We haven't seen it, Will. It was just—I mean, Cox maybe has that has that ability. I, I really do. I don't necessarily like him playing with his hand in the dirt, but it's kind of a necessity right now, just because of how how, how the defensive line is shaking out because of Kyrie Campbell being out, and you got to have more beef in the middle, and that's causing Carter to slide over and, and Cox down with his hand in the dirt more as well. You know, I think if Grantham could could have a set piece there, uh, the pieces he wanted to with Kyrie Campbell back, then maybe we'll see the pass rush improve a bit because people are playing in their more natural positions. But the biggest assumption I made in the offseason was Florida was going to have no problem finding a pass rusher. Turns out that that, that one was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, so they had eight sacks the first couple yeah, of games. Right, they, 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 they've struggled. But we I'll can t- still tell it wasn't what we have seen the last couple of years. Sure. But, I mean, again, I think I mean, Jonathan Gennaro was drafted pretty high in the NFL <laughs> yeah. draft, right? Yeah. He, he, he's not chopped liver. This isn't some guy who's an undrafted free agent who just, you know, he was just holding on for dear life there as the starter for Florida, and he leaves, and now we've got some, you know, just awful awful player out there. That's not true. Um, what I'll tell you is when I when I went back and looked at the game, so one of the things that I think is interesting is that I don't think Texas A&M won this game through the air. I think Texas A&M won this game through the ground, and they won it both on the defensive side of the ball and the offensive side of the ball. So Florida, well, I, can had, with, I can agree with you there. Look at the first half. Florida yeah. was, you felt Florida was in control of the game, but well, they come I, out in second half and run the ball, and <laughs> there you well, go. There's but, a difference. But, but that's the one place where I think when people start talking about the offense and talk about the offensive play calling that you do need to take a second look. So in the first half, Florida had 15 rushes for 73 yards. In the second half, they had nine rushes for 17 yards. You go back to the South Carolina game. They had 14 rushes for 67 yards. In the second half, they had 10 rushes for 13 yards. In the Old Miss game, when the offense never slowed down, 
They had 14 rushes for 96 yards in the first half and 15 for 100 in the second half. So in the second half, when the offense has slowed down for Florida, both against South Carolina and Texas A&M, they haven't been able to get a running game going. And you can see that if you go look look at the film, you can see the offensive line starting to get knocked back. All of, a tra- all of a sudden, Trask is looking at a second and 12, and he can complete those passes. He can. He has the ability to do it. But every quarterback at second and 12, third and 12, is going to be less effective than second and four, second and five, third and four, third and five. And, and there weren't a whole lot of negative plays, especially in the second half, for Texas A&M where you put him in that sort of situation where Kellen Mond had to hold the ball for an extra tick because he had to wait for his guy to come open. Now, the converse of that is all of his guys were running open, so don't, <laughs> I'm not sure he would have had to wait an extra tick. They, they were open anyway. for the first six, seven yards anyway. <laughs> my, my, my point, though, is is that you know the statistics between Trask and Mond look almost identical. Uh-huh. And when you look at what South Carolina was able to do there in the second half, one of the reason they one of the reasons they were able to hold on to the ball for so long is because Florida, yeah, no, South Carolina. The reason the reason in the South Carolina game that they were able to hold on the ball for so long, yeah, they made a whole lot of different conversions. But Florida, ten rushes for thirteen yards in the second half, like to not be able to hold on to the ball when you have control, to not be able to slow down the momentum of the opposing team. You know, A&M goes down, shoves it right down your throat. You know the defense is gassed. gassed. They had they had Dante Lang playing middle linebacker down there on the goal line. I didn't even know he'd moved to linebacker, and all of a sudden he's playing middle <laughs> linebacker down in the goal line because everybody is completely gassed. And Florida comes right out, three and out, right? They can't run the ball. They get stuffed, I think, for a two-yard loss. Then Trask is inaccurate on a little swing pass to Tony. They throw a little uh, – they call it – so it's like third and 16. They call a timeout on third and 16 instead of taking the five-yard penalty. And then they throw a little dump off to Malik Davis for like five or six yards and then punt the ball away. The defense goes right back out there, gassed, just like they were on the previous drive. And A&M comes right back down, scores a touchdown, takes the lead. The Malik Davis fumble is something that I think is going to happen, and those are those are excusable. And I'm not blaming the offense, but I'm saying that at some point the offense had to pick up the defense there in the second half, didn't do it. And one of the reasons they weren't able to do it is because they weren't running the ball. Yep, it was, and you can tell they were trying. I mean, they, the Malik Davis fumble, you know, it was on a running play. And as you said, you know, that was, that was another example of um, – Offensive line necessarily, you know. Don't you don't get me wrong. You know, at what there, there was a quote in "Remember the Titans," wasn't there? About uh, did, did your blocker fumble the ball? So <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, you but you you may not have had the blocking, but you still don't fumble the ball. But uh, but either way, as you said, kind of to your point, Will, that play wasn't going to be a successful run because of um, you know the, the lack of blocking there anyway. So all right, last thing here, uh, we're, we're talking about sacks, getting to the quarterback there. I uh, want to look at you know Grantham's history at, at getting sacks as well. Maybe does that help translate uh, the type of defense, uh, the sex, sex, successful defense uh, that he has uh, there? Back in Georgia in 2010, uh, they were 64th in the country uh, with about two sacks per game. 2011, 15, 15th in the country with 2.7 sacks a game. 2012 and that good Georgia season there. 40th with 2.3 sacks a game. So it didn't necessarily translate uh, uh, there as far as just numbers and sacks go, but we, that 2012 Georgia defense was really good. Uh, and 2013, um, to the, uh, 30th in the, in the country with two and a half sacks a game. His last season, not too bad there. Uh, it was pretty bad overall, but as far as getting to the quarterback, uh, not too bad. Louisville, 2014, his uh, first year there. 3.2 sacks a game, good for eighth in the country. 
2015, 15th in the country with 2.8 sacks a game. And then 2016, 43rd in the country, 2.3 sacks a game. So fell in his last season there. And then, of course, go to Florida, 2018, 21st in the country with 2.9 sacks a game. We saw, like I said, we, we saw that production right away uh, with Polite and Zuniga there in 2018. Last year, of course, everybody, we, we, won't, we won't forget that. 2019, 6th in the country, averaging 3.5 sacks per game. And then this year, 28th in the country right now with two and a half, or 2.7 sacks per game. But it was 8 in the first two games and none versus Texas A&M. So the sample size is small. Uh, that's why Florida's still at that 28th right now by getting eight sacks in their first two games combined. So, Will, I mean, look, it, with this to me, you know, it is possible to have a defense, you know, have good numbers and not have great sack numbers. And, and the perfect example of that, we've seen this team up close the last couple of years, Georgia and, and, and their defense. 84th in sacks per game in 2018 with 1.8. 83rd last season in sacks per game with 1.8. Still had an you know, elite defense last year. Good the year before that, but elite defense last year. But they weren't sacking the quarterback. They were pressuring the quarterback, getting to the quarterback, but not necessarily sacking the quarterback. And look, they pressured enough. The defensive backs are smothering that defense. And much like this year that we're seeing with that Georgia defense. But, you know, their defense looks even better this season because they are getting to the quarterback. Right now, Georgia's 13th in the country with 3.3 sacks a game. They weren't getting to the quarterback last year. That was something they probably focused on this year, and you've seen how much it helps their defense. So, you know, they seem to identify the one small issue their defense had and, and, and improved uh, upon that. So, we have a couple ways to, to look at that, that that sack number. It doesn't necessarily mean your defense is going to be elite or whatever, but I think we've seen enough from Todd Grantham to know that he has got to have that part of his defense going if we want to see the type of defense we've seen at least the last couple of years. Yeah, well, I mean, you're really talking about havoc, right? I mean, you're talking about yep. tackles for loss. You're talking about sacks. One of the things I like doing is I like looking at um, sacks as a as a percentage of total tackles. Mm. So last year in 2019, Florida had 6% of their sacks of their total tackles. So 49 sacks, 821 total tackles. This year they're at 3.3%. So eight sacks, 239 tackles. Obviously zero sacks there against A&M. What that amounted to was they had 1.8 turnovers per game last year. Um, this year they've got three turnovers total, and if we think about it, that's really a little bit lucky, right? I mean, you got Brad Stewart forcing the fumble on the third down conversion. You recover that one. They recovered the fumble against South Carolina that set them up for a touchdown there in that game. You don't recover every fumble. So, um, you know, one pick, not good enough. But one of the reasons why they're only getting one pick is because the quarterback isn't having to, having to hold on to the ball. The players in the defensive backfield aren't in the right position. But the biggest thing is they're just not making anybody uncomfortable back there yeah. uh, back there behind center. And until they do that, the turnovers aren't going to come. And when you don't have an, a, a truly elite defense, you got to turn the ball over. They haven't done that yet this year. And because they're not doing that, the defense can't get off the field, and that's why they're struggling. So – you know, it, it, it's part and parcel, right? You're not generating any havoc, so you don't get the turnovers. You need yep. the turnovers to sort of get off the field, and you can't, you can't do that. The offense decides not to run the ball in the second half, so you're gassed when you get out there, so you can't get the same pass rush. Um, it, it's really a catch-22. I'm really interested to see what Mullen and Grantham come up with because there's really two ways you can go. You can say, we're not getting a pass rush, so we're going to put our big guys out, and we're not going to let the opposing team run the ball. And we're just going to say, hey, secondary, you got to hold up. We'll bring some blitzes from time to time to try to get pressure. But at the end of the day, the front four is not going to get pressure. You guys are going to have to hold up. 
the opposing the, the other thing you could do is you could say, well, we're going to let them run all day long, and we're going to bring our pass rushers in and just play mm-hmm. four pass rushers. And we're going to say we're going to play coverage behind those four pass rushers, but we're going to let them pin their ears back and go after it. And if we get gashed in the run game, we get gashed in the run game. At least we're not giving up 40-yard passes because the quarterback can't get comfortable. And I think they're going to have to choose one of those two routes because they try, they've been trying to thread that needle where you move Zach Carter inside and then you put Cox at, at defensive end instead of having him at buck. And they're not big enough and they're not winning those one-on-one battles with the guys that they're putting in there right now, which means I think you got to go one way or the other. And I'm fascinated to see what they do. And I haven't spent enough time looking at the film to decide which way I'd want to go yet. But I suspect it might be something where you even kind of rotate, right? That early downs, yeah, first and second yeah, yeah. down, maybe yep. you just bring in the beef as best you can yep. and say we're going to sacrifice on the, in the passing game. And, and, then and on Kyrie late Campbell downs, coming back is so a big part of that. If, if, that, if that's supposed to happen this week, guys, I know you know we'll talk about it, but you know just, since we're talking about defense here, he is expected to be back this week. So look, at least early on, I wouldn't expect some big all-American performance. I wouldn't expect that anyway. But what I'm saying is he's not going to be some magic elixir that's going to fix every issue on this defense. Will he help? Yes, and kind of maybe to Will's point, in certain situations, maybe something like that. And it just opens up the defense just a little more. Because, look, from what we're seeing, Will, there's no fix. Can they get better? Absolutely. But you're not fixing this defense in a season when you're already three games in. No, I think you're deciding where to sacrifice. Yeah. Right? You're going to have to decide where am I willing to sacrifice? Where do I think I can get off the field most often? And, you know, they're not. And one of the things that happened is they had TJ Slayton there in the game an awful lot. And you could sort of tell he got tired towards the end of the game. And and now AM's running against you. And you're not necessarily holding up the same way you were in the first half. That's where a guy like Kyrie Campbell really makes a difference because now you got the two guys rotating in. And you don't have to play Slayton 50 plays. You can play him you know, 30, and now you've got a much more effective guy for the 30 or 35 plays he's playing rather than the 60 that you had him out there. I mean, he was out there a lot against A&M. And, um, you know, yeah, Kyrie Campbell is not an elixir. He's not going to make this completely you know, copacetic at the end of the day when he comes back. But it's sort of the same thing with Brad Stewart, right? I mean, Brad Stewart comes back and makes that one play. Right. And he got beaten man coverage, but he makes the one play that could have yeah. turned that game completely if if things had gone Florida's way after that fumble. I mean, you really sort of felt like Florida had regained momentum once they got that fumble and, and converted it. Um, you know, and and it's not necessarily that Stewart was perfect on that play, but it's that he was fresh enough to be able to catch back up to the receiver, force the fumble, and then and then get the ball back for Florida. Same sort of thing with Kyrie Campbell, I think, in terms of just, you know, he brings something extra to the defense, means you don't have to rely on a guy that maybe is tired or not quite as good. And and that gives you a benefit, but like I said, or, I'm gonna be fast. Or just young like Dexter, you know. Yep. I mean, you're just throwing him out there to the wolves. I mean, you, that's good in, in a way, but defensive tackle is not one of those positions you just want to go throw a true freshman in uh, time and time again if you don't have to. Well, too late. They didn't recruit any of them the last couple that's of years, yeah. so Dexter I mean, has to play. That's, no I mean, choice. you know, the the reality is is that some of the choices that they've made and some of the limitations that they've had in terms of defensive line recruiting are now starting to come back to roost. Where you have to make choices. You're, you know, against. Against South Carolina, I really did diagram that the defensive line wasn't getting any push at all. And against South Carolina, that's worrisome. Against Texas A&M, it's deadly. And 
to throw the same defensive line out there. Again, when you want to look back and say, what are the coaches responsible for? This is one of the things I think you could criticize Grantham for is that they didn't have an answer for the running game. They didn't have an answer for the passing game for A&M. And they never made an adjustment that I could see that tried to take one away over the other. Like, because you don't have the perfect set of players out there to take away both. So where are you willing to sacrifice? And you got to make that decision and you got to make that decision quickly. And I think hopefully with Mullen and Grantham sitting down this week and talking about making sure they utilize guys in the right spot, they're going to have some discussions around where are we willing to sacrifice? And if this guy's okay at one position, but we think he can be great at another, are we willing to, are we willing to, to sacrifice in the position where he would have been okay to get great? And I think that's one of the things, you know, Cox is the guy who really comes to mind Mm -hmm. is you put him at buck. And if he gets a couple of blindside hits, the quarterback gets uncomfortable and all of a sudden maybe get a turnover or two and the dynamics of the game change, as opposed to if you have a little bit of a drop off in terms of the defensive end position, but Cox isn't necessarily getting to the quarterback. Well, you know, you've gained more by or giving up big run plays because he's, Falling inside. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. I mean, so if he's a net negative, obviously we want to move him. But, but again, they've got him there, I think, because they probably don't have a better option. Right. They have to, right? Yeah. But the question then is, do you get more by putting him in a different yeah. position and just sacrificing? And they did do a little bit towards the end where they put Moon more of the uh, the true defensive end, and then Cox with a little bit more. Buckiness, I guess, is maybe the way. Like it, 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 there were a lot of times they had four guys with their hand in the dirt, which is a little bit weird too. But yeah, um, yeah I, again, I, I, I think they're gonna have to make a sacrifice somewhere. I think on third downs they need a guy like Chris Bogle and just bring him in and play him at defensive tackle. And if the team runs it down your throat, well, okay, you know it is what it is. The, the linebackers are getting mauled anyway, right. so you may as well let them get mauled when the yeah, offensive lineman beats a quick guy rather rather than just rather than beating the guy you've got out there. So that that's the expectation that I have. I think they're going to start making some sacrifices on the offensive line, and I think it's pro- if it were me, I think I'd probably start making sacrifices in terms of trying to get more pass rush rather than trying to hold up against the run. Yeah, that, that's where the turnovers will come. If, you, if you're having trouble with turnovers, that's probably where the turnovers will more likely come, is if you can pressure the quarterback, get a blindside hit like you're talking about, or, or pressure him enough where he forces a throw and he gets picked off. And yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there. I mean, And plus, I mean, besides Georgia, I don't know how many other running teams are going to be out there. I mean, Arkansas would try just because it kind of calls – Sam Pittman in his style, but LSU will want to throw it more. Missouri will want, to, will, will want to throw it more. Vanderbilt, I mean, I don't know. Maybe this defense is bad enough where Vanderbilt can do something. I don't know, I don't know right now. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, but, you know, toward the end of the year, hopefully it's fixed by the time you get to Kentucky and Tennessee because those two teams are going to want to run it. Those two teams are going to want to run it down your throat. So hopefully, you know, right now while Florida's figuring out some things, it's probably a good thing you're not playing Kentucky and Tennessee because uh, of that, and I think you could kind of figure some things out along the way uh, for that style of offense. Yeah, the other thing they can do is they can stop bringing five guys. If you're not getting home with the blitz, just Might bring, well, yeah, just bring three or four and play coverage yeah. and play some simple coverages and give your guys help in positions where they need help and just make the quarterback dink and dunk his way down the field and if he's able to do it without making a mistake where your defender can't get in the way, maybe get a pick that way. Maybe, you know, three or four man rush, one of your guys beats the offensive lineman and and you get a benefit that way. 
there were an awful lot of blitzes. An awful lot of times they brought five guys, and that you can do that, but it opens up your the backside of your defense to to think to having larger holes than you would normally have. If you're only bringing three or four. Maybe that's the other adjustment you make is you stop being as aggressive. And I'm not sure that Florida fans are going to like that. They don't like it when Grantham doesn't blitz. Well, this was um, about the first game he actually did, and. You know, it did help in in some fashion. You brought up the one play where they just overloaded the one side, and you know it, it kind of happened. It, it, to me, overall, it did help a bit, but I don't know if it was enough with the way this defense is playing that it actually made that much. Well, heck, I mean, it didn't. We we saw it, it didn't make that much of a difference. I'm not looking at anything that they did against Texas A&M <laughs> right. and saying that it worked. Like, right, exactly. like at no point did it work. Yeah. And, yeah. and I and I think if people hear uncertainty in my voice, it's because I don't know. Right, exactly. Like, I, that is, I, yeah. Like, like I'd love I, to come on here and go about it's, this defense. I had I'd love to, about this defense. I'd love to come out here and say you got to put this guy on the bench and this guy on the bench and this guy on the bench. But the problem is you got to bench ten guys. Right. Like, I mean, and, and a youth movement with ten guys ain't going to be a good. Is not going to be a good thing to do overall. And and you know these guys have played before. They have a track record of being much better than they have played thus far. And and I do think that we should also maybe note that things are going to regress to the mean a little bit just in terms of um, they aren't this bad. And at some point that's going to show through and they're going to improve. Um, I don't know. I mean, they're not going to be great. I think they're going to be sort of middle of the road, but they're not going to be bad. Now, one thing I do think is there's been a lot of talk about coronavirus and sort of did the offseason affect teams and things like that. So I did go back and look at defenses. And on yards per play, and again, I think that's what's important because that correlates to scoring. Last year, overall in FBS, it was 5.61 yards per play is what most defenses gave up. This year, it's 5.46. So it's actually down. Defenses are playing 2.6% better in 2019 than they did in 2018. The SEC is a little bit of a special case. The SEC is up about 7%, but not like Florida is. Florida's up like, you know. 30% Thirty percent in terms of what they're giving up from a yardage perspective, and and so no coronavirus is not an excuse. You can't use that as an excuse. It's at this point you're three games in. Yep. You should know how to tackle. Um, you know, and and um, obviously Mullen's getting involved in the game planning with Grantham. So we'll see where that goes. All right, well, man, good stuff. Like you said, if we if we had all the answers, I'm sure we'd be on the sideline. So I'd be making one point three million dollars. <laughs> yeah, we could give our. Uh, thoughts on it uh, but uh that's, that's about the extent of it they, they, believe me nobody in that office is taking them serious and so uh, that's just uh that, that's just the reality of it so uh but yeah i mean and i put it out today you know with this offense it does give you to me an opportunity to try some things the offense is going to put some points up on the board through three games whatever you're doing is not working you can try and figure some things out in live action along the way. It's not going to hurt anything right now. You, you, can, you can figure some things out. And look, that doesn't mean some mass personnel, like as Will said, you sit 11 to start new, uh, new 11 or anything. It's, but but it, it does open the door for something to be done differently to be done and kind of will to your point maybe you you know the way you the package you you send out for stopping the run or stopping the pass or something but at least this offense gives this defense probably the opportunity to try some things because there there will be points on the board yeah well i mean the big change is we're going to have like ninety two thousand people in the stadium next week right <laughs> oh i don't know i bet making enemies that you're at your in your, in your front office i'm not sure that's uh, uh that's the best way to go there it's it's a it's a bold move, Cotton. 
Yeah, yeah the fan base was about 50-50 on it, too. So, you know, political, political affiliation to the side, it was just, really? That's, that's, that's what you have to say after a game? <laughs> so, that's, uh, man. Hey, he took all the pressure off of his players. None yeah. of the players had to answer for any of that stuff. They they immediately went to the administration and said, what do you think yeah. about what Mullen said? Right. In, instead of saying, you know, what do you think about getting rid of Grantham? Like, right. they didn't have to, the administration didn't have to answer that question. They just had to answer questions about public health and a pandemic. I'm sure they appreciated it. Yeah, I'm sure so. I'm sure so. So, All right, well, man, what do you have coming up this week, that reading reaction? Yeah, so I'm going to have something about how to fix the defense. Hopefully you actually think I might have something to say on that. <laughs> And then, uh, and then a preview, right? I mean, we we got it doesn't stop. We got another game coming yeah. up this week, and and it's another weird one where where you know the opponent hasn't been able to stop anybody either, and and you're sort of looking at. Uh, at and Ole Miss did not convert a third down on offense last week. <laughs> I got I got to be honest. The SEC <laughs> is just strange this year. Usually, you can look at it and say, "Oh yeah, I kind of have an idea of what's going on," and I, I haven't been wrong about a, a quarterback that badly in a really long time when it came to looking at the tape. And it was interesting because in this game in particular, in the A&M game, Mullen th plays, has that flea flicker on the first play, clearly trying to take advantage of the fact that their mm -hmm. safeties had bitten pretty hard on some double moves from, from Alabama. And then they never went back to it, right? There weren't any double moves. There wasn't anything like that. So, you know, I'm interested to get into the LSU tape, see what, see what was happening there and see, uh, see what we got coming up, man. All right, that's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site read nreaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.